Hello. I am a robot. You are listening to Strength in Depth. A 200% podcast. Hello everybody and welcome to Strength in Depth, a 200% podcast. This is a history of non-league football, from the time when all football was non-league to the present day, when the top end of the non-league game is practically indistinguishable from the lower reaches of the football league. This is a love story, the story of a part of the game which is kept alive by the dedication of those who will not see it die, but it's also a story of corruption greed and exclusion, and of clubs that live hand-to-mouth lives without such luxuries as fat television contracts and exorbitant ticket prices to fall back upon. Football is dependent on promotion and relegation. It's been a part of the game since almost the beginning of league football. But all leagues have a bottom place, and clubs negotiating their way between leagues haven't always been able to rely on any degree of meritocracy. From 1888 to 1987, one of the most important relegation battles of the season came not on the pitch, but behind closed doors at the Football League's annual general meeting every June. This is a short history of re-election. It's now been more than 130 years since the Football League was founded and we tend to look upon the modern game with the belief that it's always had some degree of meritocracy about it. True enough, the game is distorted by money. Some clubs have considerably more of it than others and this enables them to buy the majority of the best players. But at the end of the season, the best get promoted, the worst get relegated and even those who are richer than Caresus have to follow this process rather than merely buying a place in a higher division. Most of the time, at least. The game remains, for now, ultimately decided by what happens on the pitch. This, however, was not always how things were decided at one particular spot in the game. Leagues are ultimately little more than the sum of their parts, their bodies made up of their membership at any given time, And when a place within any given body is as valuable as a place in the Football League can be, falling out of that organisation to be replaced by somebody else can come to be thought of as unthinkable. There was no automatic promotion and relegation from the Football League between 1888 and 1987, which meant that clubs below this level, still as then referred to as non-league clubs, were cut off from access to the greater revenues and status that came with Football League membership. This closed shop did allow access occasionally though, 
The bottom four clubs of the Football League had to be voted back into the competition at the end of each season, whilst non-league clubs could apply to replace them. This closed shop did allow access occasionally, of course. The bottom four clubs of the Football League had to be voted back into the competition at the end of each season, whilst non-league clubs could apply to replace them. It was, of course, only the thinnest veneer of democracy, and clubs didn't often fail to re-elect one of their own. After all, their own fate might well hang in the same balance one day, and should they find themselves in the same position, they would be dependent on clubs just like those that they were voting for every other season. So it was that re-election became an end-of-season ritual, a decision-making process held behind closed doors at the Football League's AGM and filtered through to the public from newspapers and television news reports in an era when people had to wait longer for their news than we do today. When the Football League was founded in 1888, only 12 clubs were invited to join it. Demand for more regular fixtures was, however, considerable. The Football Combination, set up at the same time as the Football League, but ran to a different system to the league. The Football League had a smaller number of clubs playing each other twice a season, home and away. The Football Combination had 20 clubs, but each played only eight other clubs from the league, home and away over the course of a season, and with no central control of fixtures. With friendly matches and cup matches being played on the same schedule, and communication having to be by letter only, confusion and late withdrawals from matches became commonplace, and the league was wound up after just one season. The Football Alliance stepped in to take its place, playing the same system that had been reasonably successful for the Football League. In 1892, the alliance was merged into the Football League to form a Division 2, with promotion and relegation between these two divisions through a form of playoff called Test Matches, with automatic promotion and relegation being added in 1898. Re-election has been part of the Football League since its very beginning. Stoke became the first club to be voted out in 1890, though they were only away for a year before being voted back in again. And the end-of-season ritual continued for the league's three bottom clubs, two from 1909 on, until shortly after the end of the First World War. Some well-established names earned their place in the league during this time through this method, such as Tottenham Hotspur who were elected in 1908 by the very thinnest of margins, with the league's management committee voting by 5-3 to three to allow the 1901 FA Cup winners, the last non-league club to win the FA Cup, allowed to join at the expense of Lincoln City after they had tied a second vote. Throughout the Edwardian era, the best place to come from if you wanted to get voted into the Football League quickly was West Yorkshire with Rugby League starting to establish itself as the working-class sport of choice in that part of the world, 
The first decade of the century saw two Bradford clubs, Leeds City and Huddersfield Town, all elected into the league within two seasons of forming. When the Football League introduced its two new divisions in 1920 and 21, with the introduction of the third divisions South and North respectively, re-election became an increasingly ritualised part of the closed season. A small coda for supporters, hidden away in the back pages of the newspapers at the start of June, in an age before television, or at its very beginning even radio, made news reporting more immediate. The traditional amateur clubs tended to stay out of this. But there were still a lot of professional and semi-professional non-league clubs about and, more pointedly, a lot more newly wealthy businessmen seeking the perks, both official and unofficial, that came with being the chairman of a football league club. The first club to be voted out following this expansion was Aberdare Athletic in 1927. And if their experience was anything to go by, the future for these relegated clubs could be very bleak indeed. Aberdare had joined the league in 1921. The club had merged with Aberaman Athletic in 1926, but kept the same name and were voted out of the league the following year, replaced by Torquay United. Following relegation, the club lasted one season in the Southern League before splitting back into two pieces again with the Aberdare side folding. The following year's dropouts fared little better, when Durham City were replaced by Carlisle United. Following their demotion, Durham dropped down through local leagues to the Wearside League before folding in 1938. The Durham City that continues to this day in the Northern League was a 1949 re-establishment of this club. As though in a rush to weed out undesirables brought about by the mass influx of clubs several years earlier, the Football League's clubs voted out yet another the following year. Ashington were a well-established club, first founded in 1883, and perhaps this prepared them a little better for their failure to get enough votes in 1929. Ashington were replaced by York City, and they jumped from league to league a little before becoming founder members of the Northern Premier League in 1968. After one season, however, they resigned their place and switched back to amateur football, joining the Northern League. In 1974, they were losing semi-finalists in the last ever FA Amateur Cup, and they continue to play in the Northern League to this day. After a year's break, however, the Football League's AGM struck again. This time the victims were Merthyr Town, another club who joined the 3rd Division South upon its formation just over a decade earlier. Merthyr were voted out in favour of Thames AFC, a club formed just three years earlier in East London. This turned out to be the death of two football clubs. 
Thames Association FC, the association was part of the club's name before being abbreviated upon taking Murphy's place, played their home matches at the West Ham Stadium, a cavernous 120,000 capacity Greyhound Stadium in London's Custom House. But they still managed to attract the smallest attendance for a Saturday match ever by a football league club, when just 469 people turned out to see them play Luton Town in December 1930. They resigned their place in the league and folded. Fifteen months after their demotion, however, Merthyr thought they spied an opening for a return. The state of the economy was taking a toll on football clubs, and in October 1931, Wigan Borough resigned their place in the league with debts of £30,000, £1.974 million, adjusted for inflation to 2020. Merthyr offered to take over their remaining fixtures, but the Football League said no, and the club's brief glimmer of hope came to an end. The Football League expunged Wigan's record and continued a club short for the rest of the season. Wigan Athletic were immediately formed as a replacement club a year later, but more of them later on. Merthyr Town soldiered on in the Southern League before folding in 1934, and that club's replacement club, Merthyr Tidville FC, continued to play in the Southern League until folding in 2010. The current incarnation of this convoluted story has reverted to the Merthyr Town name. Newport County were voted out of the Football League at the same time as Merthyr, coincidentally, but were only away for a year before returning to take the space left by Wigan Borough's collapse. So it goes. The following year, the last of this initial rush of clubs to be voted out followed, and on this occasion it was tight. Nelson finished adrift at the bottom of the 3rd Division North the previous season and were in deep financial difficulty. They were replaced by Chester City, who in turn folded in 2010 following relegation from the Football League through the automatic promotion and relegation place that would later replace re-election. Their successor club, Chester FC, now play in the National League North. The number of clubs being replaced at the end of each season, however, tailed off. Perhaps it was the broader issue of the economy. Perhaps it was the cautionary tales from so many of those who'd been voted out, and occasionally those who'd been voted in. But in the early 1930s, the numbers slowed, and in 1934 no one even applied to join the 3rd Division North, meaning that the two clubs that had finished the season in bottom places in the table were voted straight back in. The re-election acts would only swing one more time before the Second World War blew a hole in the game's schedule that would last for seven years. Gillingham had been founded in 1883 as New Brompton FC and had joined the Southern League as founder members in 1894, changing their name to Gillingham in 1912. They hadn't had an especially successful time on the pitch during all these years though, and their replacement in 1938 came with the club having already had to seek re-election on five occasions over the previous 17 years of league membership. Ipswich Town took their place, but when the third division's North and South expanded from 22 to 24 clubs in 1950, Gillingham rejoined. With the game more settled and crowds rising, the number of clubs voted in and out of the Football League had already slowed by the time that Gillingham lost their place in 1938, and this slowing continued after the Football League resumed in 1946. 
The next team to get voted out of the Football League were New Brighton in 1951. New Brighton had formed as a continuation of South Liverpool, taking on that club in an arrangement that might be considered a little franchise-esque in 2020. Voted into the Football League two years later, New Brighton were almost promoted to the second division in only their second season as members. This, however, was by a long way as good as things got for the club, and in 1951 they were voted out in favour of Workington. New Brighton continued to drift down through the divisions before folding in 1983. The Football League changed Division 3's North and South into their 3rd and 4th Divisions in 1958, and with this came the spectacle of the four bottom clubs in the 4th Division facing re-election alongside whichever non-league clubs applied alongside them. This new system claimed its first victim within a couple of years. South Shields FC had been formed in 1899, and became a member of the Football League with the league's expansion to two divisions of 22 clubs in 1919. They moved ground and changed their name to Gateshead in 1930. When Gateshead came to require re-election in 1960, there wasn't really any great panic within the club. They'd finished in third from bottom place in the table, and they were hardly repeat offenders either. This was the first time they'd been required to apply for re-election since 1937 and only their second time ever. On the 28th of May 1960 however the Football League's AGM had a nasty surprise in store for Gateshead. 18 different non-league clubs applied for a Football League place in 1960 but after Oldham Athletic had their place confirmed it was announced that Peterborough United of the Midland League had finished in second meaning that a Football League club was going to lose its place. Even when Hartlepool United grabbed third spot though, Gateshead still had cause for optimism. Southport may have finished a place above them in the table that season, but they'd had to apply for re-election the previous three seasons, whereas this was the first time that Gateshead had been required to reapply in 23 years. Southport won 11 votes more than Gateshead though, and the Newcastle Chronicle reported the next day, Gallant Gateshead are out of league football. Gone from the tough competitive scene are a team who have always played hard and earned their own little corner in soccer history. They battled in the shadow of the great Newcastle United and Sunderland, for cash as well as points. They were always fighters, but now their colleagues have kicked them out. The strong rumour was that the owners of Southern clubs were tired of having to travel all the way up to Tyneside, though this has never been verified by anybody in an official position. Two years later, when a new club was required to replace Accrington Stanley, who'd resigned their place in the league during the season, the voting saw a landslide for Oxford United, who received 39 votes, 34 more than the second-place club Wigan Athletic. Throughout the remainder of the 1960s, such landslide votes were the norm, but with very different results. Non-league clubs normally came nowhere near the required total number of votes. In 1968, however, irregular circumstances in more than one sense led to a club having to go before a vote. In January 1968, 
a Football League investigation into Port Vale led to the Football Association charging the club on six counts as follows. Number one, several amateurs had been paid despite not being registered. Two, associate schoolboys had played for the club against FA rules. Three, extra bonuses being paid to players after a 3-0 League Cup victory over Chester in August 1967. Four, illegal bonuses being paid to two players. Five, an illegal signing on bonus being paid to one player. And six, a director of the club offering gifts to young players. Port Vale were fined £2,000, but more significantly, the Football Association also recommended that the club be expelled from the Football League at the end of the season. The league deliberated over it for a month before fining them a further £2,000 and then duly informing Port Vale that they would be expelled at the end of the season. The club's directors stated that they were shocked and appalled at the savage penalties handed down. Penalties that were probably as harsh as they were on account of coming in the slipstream of the 1964 betting scandal, which had done the game's reputation no good whatsoever at a time of falling attendances. There was, however, a critical caveat that would come to save Port Vale's skin. They may well have been expelled from the Football League at the FA's behest at the end of the 1967-68 season, but they could still reapply to join again immediately. When they did so at the start of the summer, Port Vale were reinstated by 40 votes to 9. Two years later, however, arguably the most well-known victims of re-election of all plunged through the trap door. The Bradford Football Club had been founded in 1863, playing rugby and joining the Northern Rugby Football Union in 1895. This, after a series of mergers, would later become the Rugby Football League. In 1907, however, came another split. This time around, a narrow majority of members voted to switch to play association football. The minority, who wished to continue to play rugby league, left to form a new club, Bradford Northern, while the football club became known as Bradford Park Avenue FC. Bradford Northern continued to play today as the Bradford Bulls. This split came to be known as the Great Betrayal. By the end of the 1960s, though, Bradford Park Avenue were in a sorry state. The end of the 1969-70 season saw the club finish at the bottom of the fourth division for the third season in a row. And when the votes came in at the Football League's AGM, even with a field that might have been split by the inclusion of 13 non-league applicants, Bradford could only finish in sixth place in the voting, below both Cambridge United of the Southern League and now perennial applicants Wigan Athletic. Cambridge, therefore, took Bradford's place in the league, and Bradford Park Avenue slipped into the Northern Premier League, where they would remain for four further seasons before folding in 1974, having sold their Park Avenue ground a year earlier. The club of the same name that currently plays in the National League North was founded in 1988. Two years later, 
Barrow were voted out in favour of Hereford United. It was, for the outgoing club, something of a perfect storm. Despite winning promotion to the 3rd Division in 1967, relegation back in 1970 saw Barrow in a poor state both on and off the pitch. The club's directors decided to install a speedway track around the pitch in order to try to cover some of their financial losses, but this was not popular amongst other clubs. In addition to this, Barrow were, as Gateshead arguably were 12 years earlier, relatively geographically isolated. Whilst Hereford United's run to the FA Cup fourth round during the 1971-72 season meant that there was a non-league club which already had a high profile and was ready to take their place. Barrow regained their place in the Football League in 2020. As the 1970s progressed though, it started to feel as though English football was slowly starting to move towards greater fluidity between its leagues. The FA abandoned the distinction between professional and amateur players in 1974, whilst in 1976 the Football League limited the number of new applicants each season to two clubs, which had an immediate effect upon re-election. The following season, Workington were voted out to be replaced by Wimbledon, the second club from the far northwestern coast to be voted out of the Football League in six seasons. This wasn't much of a surprise really though. Workington ended the 1976-77 season bottom of the 4th division and with just four league wins all season. They'd finished bottom of the table at the end of the previous season too. A year later, another club from roughly the same part of the world, albeit a little further south, Southport, were also voted out. They tied with Wigan Athletic on the first vote, and on the second vote, the Northern Premier League club's years of experience at canvassing made all the difference, as they beat Southport to the last place in the Football League by nine votes. Southport turned down a place in the nascent Alliance Premier League the following summer, and joined the Northern Premier League instead, citing concerns over travel costs as their reason. The Alliance Premier League was a new national league formed by the biggest clubs in the Southern League and the Northern Premier League, with the explicit aim of pushing for automatic promotion and relegation with the Football League. The number of applicants was reduced from two to one, and this almost had an effect immediately. Much as Hereford United had several years earlier, Altrincham built their reputation on success in the FA Cup. The largesse of Peter Swales and Noel White, who would end up on the boards of Manchester City and Liverpool respectively, had helped too though. Altrincham spent £50,000 on ground developments and £10,000 on canvassing for their 1980 bid for a place in the Football League, whilst FA Cup runs also helped to raise their profile. Meanwhile, Rochdale had finished two of the previous three seasons in the bottom four in the fourth division and were desperately struggling to attract crowds. They were genuinely considered to be extremely vulnerable to Altrincham's bid. On the day of the vote, however, everything went wrong for the non-league club. The Grimsby Town representative ended up in the wrong part of the building at which the meeting was being held whilst the Luton Town representative got the time of the meeting wrong and was hopelessly late to turn up. Both had previously pledged their support to Altrincham, but neither voted on the day. Rochdale defeated Altrincham by 26 votes to 25.
it turned out that Southport would remain the last football league club to be voted out of the league and replaced through re-election. The Alliance Premier League started at an inconvenient time, when attendances across all levels of the game were tumbling precipitously, but while its early years were a struggle for many of its clubs, attendances at many struggled to reach four figures, the new league did raise the profile of the non-league game with its innovations. Not all of them were successful. Experiments with no offside from three kicks and two points for a home win and three points for an away win certainly won. But they did help get the league's name known. And by the middle of the decade, such was the state of the entire football league that it was considered that further reform of the divisions was inevitable. In 1986, the Football League reached agreement with what was by now known as the Football Conference for automatic promotion and relegation to begin from the summer of 1987. As the GM Vauxhall Conference champions for the 1986-87 season, Scarborough became the first club to win automatic promotion to the Football League, with Lincoln City becoming the first club to make the return journey. Ground grading regulations meant that it wasn't guaranteed that clubs would get promoted come the end of each season, but the conference raised its game eventually, and in 2003 a second promotion and relegation place was added, which the conference gave to playoff winners. With the National League, as the football conference is now rebranded, now largely professional in its own right, there remains considerable support in non-league circles for the number of promotion and relegation places between it and the Football League to be increased to three, though this hasn't happened yet. For decades and decades though, this semi-closed shop existed, and its iniquity can be seen in some of the statistics associated with it. Hartlepool United hold the record for falling into the re-election places on the most occasions, with 14, but they were never voted out of the Football League. Gateshead, on the other hand, were voted out at the first attempt. Whilst four of the clubs that were voted out of the Football League in the years that followed the creation of its third tier were only in that position for the second time. Re-election was occasionally predictable. It was no surprise when, say, Bradford Park Avenue or Workington were voted out. But it wasn't quite predictable enough, especially as football clubs had to increasingly organise themselves as businesses. From the perspective of the non-league clubs, the position prior to 1987 was considerably more unsatisfactory, although they could do little to force the Football League to open itself up. The record number of applications to join the Football League stands with Wigan Athletic, whose successful application at 1978 came at their 25th attempt. The most applications without getting voted in were made by Yeovil Town, who managed to get there of their own accord as Football Conference champions in 2003, with 28. But the three clubs below them in that list, Bedford Town, Kettering Town and Chelmsford City, have still never tasted life in the Football League. One amateur club, Argonauts, 
famously applied on three successive occasions between 1928 and 1930 without playing a single game. In 1981, meanwhile, annoyed at the fact that applications could only be made from the Alliance Premier League, while the only pathway into the Alliance Premier League could be made from the Northern or Southern Premier Leagues, Wickham Wanderers of the Isthmian League made an application, had their ground confirmed as acceptable for league football, and then withdrew it. For clubs applying from the non-league game, though, canvassing was all important. As long ago as 1907, Oldham Athletic produced a pamphlet to be sent to each football league club reminding them of their virtues. Small wonder when they had just five minutes to make their claim to football league club chairman. Oldham narrowly missed out on being voted in that year, but were permitted to join thanks to the resignation of Burzell and Port Vale. Twelve years later, South Shields sent their manager Jack Tin to every football league club with a prospectus, demonstrating their success both on and on the pitch. They were voted in. As time progressed, sending a prospectus increasingly became the norm, and this, combined with the potential costs of improving facilities to get a club ready for the Football League, something which senior non-league clubs took until the end of the 1990s to predictably be able to get right, made seeking promotion a costly business, with the likelihood of success remaining extremely thin. If that sounds familiar, well, to this day non-league clubs throw good money after bad in the pursuit of a place in the Football League. We've seen it repeatedly in recent years. The ambitious chairman with plans for the big time, who will spend more money than could ever be considered necessary in order to achieve it. Yet the benefits of a place in the Football League are far from guaranteed. There are plenty of clubs in the lower reaches of the Football League who live just as much of a hand-to-mouth existence as those who play just below it. Commercial deals may be a little bigger, but this will usually be swallowed up by wage bills undergoing even greater inflation. In terms of prestige though, a place amongst the top 92 retains a pool that continues to consistently attract those who consider the gamble of sinking their money into project promotions to be worthwhile. Getting a place in the Football League has never been easy for most, but for those with the money to burn, it's never been more tempting either.